0: I think it's a, a growing problem. And, you know, I think the statistics are saying that, you know, male infertility is, I think, almost 50% of yeah. the population. And I think that they're, they're saying that if sperm counts continue to decline by 2050, we will render ourselves infertile. And this is based on, you know, sperm counts. So this is based on male infertility, not female.
1: Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Cech. Today's guest is Sarah Hopkins, a nutrition and lifestyle coach from Perth in Western Australia. Sarah is a Czech Institute professional with a passion for food and wellness, inspired by her own personal journey through eating disorders, body image challenges, and the health concerns that ensued. She quit her job in the corporate sector to follow her dream of coaching others and sharing practical and long-term strategies for improving health and vitality.
2: Well, welcome to Living 4D with Paul Cech. Today, I'm very excited to share a special guest with you, Sarah Hopkins, who is a very, very skilled and experienced Czech holistic lifestyle coach, a longtime friend of mine, and somebody who I love dearly, and I'm excited to share with you, Sarah. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul
0: Check. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today.
2: Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, I, I had a question. In my mind, while I was in the gym for a while, actually, I was laying out in the sun, stretching and mobilizing, and I thought, I wonder if Sarah did all of her HLC training with me or not, because I know I taught you HLC 3. Did I teach you the other levels?
0: I feel incredibly blessed and attribute a lot of my success to the fact that I was fortunate enough to have done HLC 2 and HLC 3 with you, Paul. So (laughs) (laughs) the majority of my really intense, uh, learning and, um, sort of experience was really with you.
2: Yeah. Well, you know you kind of get a double-edged sword with me. I don't follow the manual, but I tend to wander into things that are really important. And the good students go, yes, let's get into it. And the
0: weaker ones go, how come he's not following the manual? <laughs> how come he's talking about God so much?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm how saying. come he's talking about me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So yes, I I loved doing both of those with you. I felt um, incredibly fortunate and blessed to have done those with you, so thank you.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. And uh, you know, just for the the listeners, your specialty is women's health, fertility, and do you work on fertility issues with men and women? Because I know there's lots of men that have that problem. I've worked with several.
0: Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's as serious for men these days. If you look at the statistics, then that than it is, or as it is for women. However. I find that most men are actually not particularly interested in working on their fertility and the whole of the sort of infertility structures or medical structures are really set up to only focus on the woman anyway. So, you know, and I don't know what that says about A, our medical system and B, sort of the patriarchal structures that exist but, you know, most men, even if they do have a relatively low sperm count, are told that they're fine and that all the focus and attention is put on the women. So typically, you know, I'm seeing the women that have been told by whatever medical specialist it is that they have um, seen that they are the ones that need to address the issues. And I think just generally speaking, women are more aware of their bodies and more sort of conscious around making changes around their well-being. So no, typically I don't see men.
2: Yeah, it is a problem with men. I've had two or three cases in the last few years of 18 and 19 year old athletes contacting me to ask me how to get off of Viagra.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, so.
2: I,
0: th- it's, I think it's a, a growing problem. And, you know, I think the statistics are saying that, you know, male infertility is I think almost 50% of the yeah. population. And I think that they're, they're saying that if sperm counts continue to decline by 2050, we will render ourselves infertile. And this is based on, you know, sperm counts. So this is based on male infertility, not female.
2: Yeah, well, you know, the double-edged sword there is that uh – uh a, it means that we have a lot of health problems, and B, the, the flip side, of the positive side of it is, maybe that's what Mother Earth needs, is a break from uh, all these people consuming all the resources unconsciously, and, you know, it, it's, I, I've done research into the gay population, and the, and the gay population's been on the rise for several years, and, and, you know, I tell people that's a blessing, because they're, you know, they're less likely to have children, and they're being honest about uh, how they enjoy being loved and giving love.
0: Absolutely.
2: the universe works in magical and mysterious ways. You also specialize in dealing with autoimmune challenges and chronic inflammatory conditions. So those are all some really common challenges out there. I'm sure you're probably busy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm definitely busy. And yes, again, I mean... I know that people have a perception that Australia is a healthy country and I suppose if you look around, particularly where I live, which is probably not dissimilar to where you are in San Diego, Paul, it looks like everybody is really healthy and active but the truth is, you know, in terms of our general disease statistics, you know, Australia is right up there at the top. You know, I think it's one of the highest rates of cancers in the world. Uh, I think it also has one of the highest rates of autoimmune conditions. So definitely, uh, there are some problems here and, um, yes, I'm, I'm relatively busy with particularly women working on these issues.
2: Yes. You know, and Australia also has one of the highest rates of, uh, Obesity or being, you know, overweight and obesity. It's quite a shock to me because, you know, having spent a lot of time in Australia, I've probably done over well over a hundred workshops and seminars there in my career. It's such a, a vital kind of healthy natural country like New Zealand, but it's got all these interesting problems. And even though to most Americans, it seems a little kind of backward. Uh, you know, when you go there it's got a, got the feeling of England to it. but it's actually more advanced than we are in its use mm. of technology. And New Zealand, interestingly, is another country that's quite healthy. but when you do your research, you find that not too long ago they had the highest rates of osteoporosis of any country. And I found that and and also in in the youngest age groups, uh, high rates of osteoporosis in women as young as 35.
0: Wow, that's interesting.
2: Well, it was, and researchers tracked it back to excessive soda pop consumption. They found that um, women consuming three cans of soda pop a day or more had a very high risk of osteoporosis because they had to suck the calcium out of their bones to neutralize all the acid from the phosphorus in the uh, soda pop.
0: Mm, Wow. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, Australia certainly looks healthier I think on the outside than it actually is and certainly in some ways I think we are relatively progressive but I think when it comes to healthcare where we're in the same boat as you guys over there in the states and I mean I think we really model ourselves despite the fact that we've been colonized by the English I think we really do model ourselves on the American model for most things Paul so
2: well you know In my lectures through Australia, I said over and over again, do not emulate the (laughs) Americans. It's a bad idea. (laughs) I know. I I know. I'm not here teaching you as a citizen of the United States. I am here teaching you as a citizen of the universe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
2: Um, I'd love it if you could share an overview of who you are and the developmental influences and experiences that led you to becoming the amazing and, by the way, very beautiful woman you are today. For those who can't see you, she is absolutely gorgeous.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, So I suppose if I reflect on how I became or or sort of what got me to where I am today – if I think back, I was always a little bit obsessed with health-related things, even as a child. And I recently remembered that even as sort of a 10-year-old child, I somehow managed to procure some kombucha, a kombucha scoby and brew kombucha at the time in the 80s. It was It was not a well-known thing. So I was sort of always experimenting with my own health and um, voraciously reading books and sort of gravitating towards health or diet books that either my parents would have or I would um, find at at the library. So I feel like I had a... A deep passion that was inside of me from a young age. But of course, as often happens, and I see this more often than not actually with my clients, life got in the way of that. And um, I fell into, you know, I suppose my own programming and my family's programming around what I should do. And I um, toddled off to university and sort of fell into a career that was very far away from the health industry. And then it was actually through a health crisis, a personal health crisis many years later that I found myself in the arms of the Czech Institute, so to speak. And I sort Right of, on. I know. It was amazing. And I sort of went on a personal health journey. And at the end of that, I rediscovered a great passion and was fortunate enough to turn that into a beautiful career.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm excited because, you know, It takes a fair bit of, uh, one, it's not cheap to go through all the Holistic Lifestyle Coach training, and two, as you probably have heard me say in class, this first is a journey for you to get yourself healthy and apply the principles to yourself, or you'll always be insecure because you'll always have to think you have to have a head full of facts and figures when really, when you get yourself healthy, it's really about just teaching people what you do every day. Yes. So the kind of limiting factor for me as a teacher is getting my students to apply it to themselves and be the change. So I'm really excited that, you know, you are one of the ones that really embodied it and embraced it and now share that love and wisdom with your clients.
0: Well, I feel really lucky that that was the way it evolved for me because, you know, I really fell into, I, I happened upon how to eat, move and be healthy and applied the principles and healed my body. And we can go into that in more detail if you like. But, you know, it was really, it came initially from that desire to learn more, practice more, evolve more, heal more. And, and, and through that evolution, I got in touch with my inner desire, I found my dream again. So That's awesome. It was perfect. It was, it was a beautiful evolution.
2: I'm glad your dream included me.
0: Me too. You are definitely such a pivotal person in my dream. You're on my dream team.
2: Right on, baby. I sure am. I was <laughs> going to tell you something funny. I was coming through uh, customs into Australia a few years back, and you know how you stand in line and you walk up to the uh, – the, the uh what do you call them, border patrol agent there,
0: customs, customs agent. Customs.
2: Yeah, she looks at my passport. She kind of looks at me, at me with a funny look on her face. She goes, are you the how to eat, move, and be healthy guy? I said, <laughs> yes, I am. She goes, oh, I've got your book. It's a very good book. <laughs> and she stamped my passport and let me go. <laughs> I've, oh, I've actually crazy. had that. That's happened to me three times at by customs agents now.
0: Oh, that's amazing. It's such a good book. It's, it's Thank you profound in its simplicity. And I think that's that is what is key.
2: Yeah, well, it really is. And I'd love to hear more about your own healing journey and your recovery from amenorrhea and infertility if you'd like to share that. I think it's always more fun to listen to health professionals when you know they're the wounded healer and that they've had to walk their own trail of tears and firewalk to become authentic healers. So let us hear your story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love to share my story because I think, you know, certainly for women, we we learn through sharing stories and definitely that's ancestral. So wherever possible, when I'm trying to articulate my message and my passion, I'm always relating it back to stories of my own, so my own personal stories and then sometimes relating back to stories of my clients and I really feel that that resonates. So, so let me share. Um, I had a lot of health issues from a very young age and I think that was probably why I had that underlying interest in health-related things. So um, weight gain as a teenager, chronic migraines, acne, a load of hormonal issues. I developed irritable bowel syndrome and lots of sort of unexplained digestive systems sort of by the time I was in my early 20s. And as a general rule, I wasn't a very happy person. I just, I felt, and it was obviously because of all of these things, I really, I, I think I struggled with some underlying anxiety and depression. So I was I was not well. And um I sort of started to explore, in my early 20s, I started to explore things of a spiritual and health-related matter, and I came across another beautiful book, which is called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom by Carolyn Miss. Oh yes, uh, Christine, yeah. Christine Christine Northrop, sorry. I think the four oh, words Northrup, by she's, yeah. she's amazing. Um yeah. and I started to learn about the impacts of the contraceptive pill, which I'd been on for many, many years. And so mm, I yeah, did, bad news. I know, bad news. So I did some soul searching and I decided to come off the contraceptive pill. So, I came off the contraceptive pill and waited for my period to arrive. I was excited to actually have a natural menstrual cycle and uh, basically, I waited for 10 years. um, Oh, boy. Yeah, and I basically ran around um, crying and screaming at every specialist and GP and doctor and gynecologist and every other sort of specialist that you can imagine. And uh, nobody could help me. And they said, listen, darling, it's fine. You won't be able to conceive naturally. Just come back when you want to have kids. And in fact, they said, go back on the pill um, and come back when you want to have kids and we'll just sort you out with some drugs for that and everything will be fine.
2: So yes, we'll be happy to get a sick person pregnant.
0: (laughs) exactly, (laughs) And and charge you lots of money for it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So of course this did not resonate with me. And I really um, felt deep intuitively, deeply and intuitively that this was a a very strong sign from my body that something wasn't right. I wasn't fertile. So at some point I was telling a, a friend of mine about this and he just mentioned your book, and he didn't even give it to me. Yes. And he didn't even give it to me, but he said, I love it. He, he has done, I think HLC one a while ago, a long time ago. And so in my early thirties was probably, I don't know, 2008 ish or around there. Um, I went and bought your book and it was profound. I read it and I think I read it all in about, I don't know, two days and just poured over it. Absolutely loved it. Started to apply all of the recommendations and principles in the book. And over time, I basically completely healed my body. So digestion, skin, hormones, I now have a a perfect 28-day cycle. And I conceived my beautiful little three-and-a-half-year-old son in, I think, the first month of trying with no help from said doctors.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, you didn't. You didn't need to uh, use a uh, artificial insemination. You had the joy of natural. I did. Uh,
0: <laughs> I did, yeah. and it was successful. So, um, so yeah. I, I suppose you know um, the my healing journey very much involved the application of the foundational principles and and all of the Czech philosophies, and so that was really what made me um so keen to learn more and 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 ultimately teach others
2: you know I have a, a sort of a side question for you here you mentioned uh, in the in the beginning that you used to uh, listen to me talk about God in class I'm wondering now that you've It's been several years. How many years has it been since you took HLC3 with me?
0: HLC3 was, I think I did that in the first year that I started my coaching business. So I would say 2012 or maybe 2011. Right. So what's that? Nine years.
2: Yeah. So you've had nine years to sit with people and listen to the beliefs behind the behaviors. Have you found that... There's a reason I was mentioning God and uh, the limiting beliefs and how much stress they cause people?
0: Oh, oh my God. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't think I ever sat there going, why the hell is he talking about God? <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that was my dialogue, but I, I do think about the conditioning, the subconscious programming and conditioning that is mostly deeply religious and the issues that that is causing on a, a on a subconscious level and then sort of entirely in our body if that makes sense so Absolutely. you know the,
2: the subconscious lives in you <laughs> yeah exactly your subconscious it is- hides it hides in the dark.
0: It hides in the dark, but it's running the program, and so sure you know. <laughs> so I really get, um, and I really appreciate why you spent so much time sort of unpacking that and 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 talking about religion and talking about what God really is and 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 what it really means. And 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 you know, certainly for me, it resonated deeply. But some people's brains were exploding all over the room, and it was a challenge.
2: Well, you know, I tell them, if this is a challenging conversation for you, meaning to my students, then just know that I'm taking you right to the place you need to heal in order to be healthy enough and open enough to handle people from all walks of life with all sorts of different religious convictions and isms. And if you can't achieve the state of an open heart and an open mind, you are not ready to be a holistic lifestyle coach. You are simply not ready. Definitely. Hi, this is Paul Cech. I hope you're enjoying the show. Hey, have you ever wanted to make your conditioning program simple, easy, practical, and highly effective? If you answered yes, then Mike Salemi's Master the Kettlebell program is perfect for you Whether you're someone who just wants to gain strength and fitness so you can live and love more fully, enjoy creating your dreams, or you're a professional conditioning or rehab specialist, Mike is definitely one of the world's most skilled and accomplished kettlebell athletes with multiple Russian titles and a world championship title under his belt. I was Mike's personal therapist and coach for two and a half years, not to mention that Mike's a highly skilled Czech trained professional. And you'll get all the amazing assessment, preparation, and conditioning benefits Mike's learned from me and many of the world's greatest kettlebell athletes, coaches, and experts that Mike has studied with in his career. Primal pattern conditioning is a system I developed all the way back in 1988 that focuses on the seven key movement patterns that I identified that we would have to have been able to do effectively with body weight at least to survive in nature. Not to mention that I've seen over and over rehabilitating people that when we cannot do these seven key movement patterns in our normal work a day and home environment, we're highly likely for injury. These patterns are squatting, lunging, bending, pushing, pulling, twisting, and gait. Mike shows you how to use the kettlebell for effective conditioning in the squat, lunge, bend, push, pull, and twist patterns, as well as how to do some excellent groundwork, which is really good for those of you that are in martial arts cage fighting, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, rugby, and any of the combat of sports. Mike offers checklists for each exercise and gives you corrective options so you're always ready to perform at your best and stay injury-free. MTK offers you three levels of support. You can join Mike's Facebook group as part of the program where you can get your questions answered and share ideas with other kettlebell enthusiasts. You can email Mike questions directly to get the answers to the questions you have, without having to wait a long time, or you can hire Mike personally for mentoring. And if you want to do it at a distance because you don't have the money to travel or it's just not efficient for you, Mike can coach you on FaceTime or Skype. I coach a lot of people that way, and I found it to be very helpful and effective. It's far better than not being able to get to somebody when you need help. At least this way, you get the support. Regardless if you're a person just wanting functional fitness or sport-specific conditioning, a strength and conditioning specialist, or rehab professional, I give you my personal guarantee, Mastering the Kettlebell is the best kettlebell training program in the world. And because MTK is beautifully filmed and presented as an online program, you can do it anytime, anywhere that you can get an internet connection. Take your phone or tablet into the gym and let Mike personally guide you to being the fittest and having the best body you've ever had. With MTK, you'll look better, feel great, and perform better for the long run. Join Mike Salemi now and master the kettlebell. Well, with all your healing experience and clinical experience, I'd love it if you can share your views on applying the six foundation principles that we teach through HLC training and the four doctors and how they can be even more transformative than, uh, functional medicine testing, uh, functional medicine testing and, and how, maybe how and when you use functional medicine testing in your practice. Since we're not against it, we, I think you agree. It's really not about having anything against the testing. It's just saying, Hey, the test only showing you the results of your choices. Let's look at <laughs> the choices and the beliefs that led you there.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, if I think, if I bring it back to myself first, so, you know, applying the principles, the foundation principles, obviously, we, anyone that's listening to this podcast probably knows them or has hopefully listened to some others, but thoughts, movement, nutrition, breathing, hydration, and sleep, and also yeah. applying the four doctors: Dr. Diet, Dr. Movement, Dr. Quiet. I've brain Dr. fired Happy. Dr. Happy, the most important. Um yeah. so, you know, if I think about myself, you know, my healing journey started with the application of those, I call them foundational principles because they're really yeah. the fundamentals of well-being. And so yeah. I before I became a coach, I didn't necessarily know that that was going to work for my clients. I only knew that it worked for me. So it was an N equals one experiment at that point. And then I started, so if I'm entirely honest, when I started coaching, I was afraid (laughs) because I was dealing with people straight away. I, I had complicated people that were coming to me with chronic Autoimmune conditions and infertility and all of these serious health issues. And I, I, I thought, Oh, I don't know <laughs> if I can help these people. Maybe they need these functional medicine doctors. Maybe they need a GP and they need to be on methyltrexate or, or some other serious drug to manage that inflammation. But I, I had faith, I suppose, or I, I, I tried, I had to try. So I, I helped them to apply. Those foundational principles and using the four doctors and lo and behold they healed
1: so um
0: so I I suppose it's been hundreds and hundreds of people now um and it is for me it is about taking it back to those basic fundamental things because they are the starting point and if they're not dialed in then anything that you're doing on, anything that you're adding on top of that is really masking something. You talk about the pain doctor. So, you know, um, taking supplements or medication to, uh, I suppose, mask a a pain is really masking the the messaging system from your body and from your inner being that there is yes. you know an imbalance that needs to be addressed and in my experience most of those imbalances can be addressed by those six foundation principles. So you know one of the sorry oh sorry I was I'm just
2: going to say I was just going to say that one of the big things that uh, people worldwide have forgotten is that Pain is a, an essential component of the feedback loops in our body. You know, if you have an air conditioning system in your house and your house gets hot, you turn the air conditioner to say 72 degrees. I don't know what that is in Celsius off the top of my head, but you know, so then the air conditioning comes on. And when all of a sudden the room reaches 72 degrees, there's a feedback loop that tells the air conditioner to shut off. And when it gets 73 degrees, it says turn it back on. So imagine if we were to put drugs in our air conditioning system so it didn't know when to shut off or turn back on. Well, we would have a completely dysfunctional system. So when people have headaches or skin problems or neck aches or back aches or digestive trouble or sexual uh, performance problems or fertility problems or autoimmune problems, Everyone keeps getting drugged and they just shut off the feedback loop. They go home. They keep thinking the same way, breathing the same way, hydrating the same way, sleeping the same way, moving the same way. They keep doing everything the same and expecting a different result. And it's, you know, it's it's sad because it's, as you know, it's a highly profitable disease maintenance industry. But what's always baffled me is how do you look in the mirror every day watch yourself getting fatter and fatter more and more tired more and more sick and not say to your doctor this is not working i need something else but people just keep going like automatons and i i just feel like how how down in the trenches do you have to get before you finally say okay i'm going to have to trust myself now and start listening to my body
0: i know and you know the other thing is that you know all medications have effects we talk about good side effects and bad side effects they're all just effects and at the end of the day you know over time it's not going to end well <laughs> you know
1: it's it's no. just
0: giving you a whole lot of extra effects really if we think about it it's adding more load onto your liver and detox organs and ultimately yeah. it's only going to exacerbate what's happening and again you know if you're ignoring those symptoms they that's the pain doctor telling you that you need to change something in your life so if you ignore that then over time it's going to get louder and louder until it's possibly something horrible like cancer
2: right and so
0: sorry go Paul
2: oh I was just gonna say so uh you know when when that you know we we talked about this before but uh you know Functional medicine testing certainly has its place. Could you share how you use functional medicine testing in your practice?
0: Yeah. So, look, I have been mostly disappointed with functional medicine training. I am going to say that because um, I suppose I have seen people use it instead of applying those fundamentals. And, you know, and then it, it is the same as. Taking a medicine, really, in my opinion. Yeah, um, so is. I have seen people be have a mostly ineffective result from it. So I'm, I, I I suppose I'm very reluctant to refer unless I really, really think that it is the only solution for my clients. And I suppose right now, thinking of those um, those instances, one would be heavy metal detox because I do feel like we are overloaded with heavy metals and it doesn't seem like I know there's the medical medium saying you can drink celery juice every day and you know take a whole bunch of things and maybe that maybe that is going to help but really I think that we're all we've inherited a lot of these heavy metals and so I think that that could be um beneficial for some people in the context of their overall well-being. And the other one is microbiome mapping. And I suppose we we touched on this before we started recording. Um, you know, that can be working on rebalancing imbalances because obviously, you know, that microbiome and the population of bacteria in the large intestine is so important for so many things in relation to health. Um, but yes. also addressing parasites. Um, although, yes. I will also say that, you know, this is such an emerging field of science. I mean, it's got to have only been around for 10 years maximum. And I yeah. honestly feel like it's like landing on the moon. It's uncharted territory. You know, we don't know yet. We le- we're we learning new, new things about the microbiome every single day. And so, I, I also, part of me wonders if, you know, some of the things that we call sort of parasites now, we might even see that they're symbiotic, that they, they have a role in, in our body. So um, I'm mm. certainly referring if I see people that are presenting mm. with those symptoms because I don't test, but um, yeah, I think that's an emerging science and we have a way to go.
2: Yeah. Have you by chance studied my healing fungal and parasite infections uh, program?
0: You know what? I haven't listened to all of it. Uh, a friend of mine has it, and he actually does the microbiome mapping. So I've only yeah. listened to some of it that he's sent to me. But that is an amazing program. And I know he you uses know, it a lot.
2: Yeah, I brought it up because I actually do go through the positive benefits of parasites and why we attract them. And I give several actual examples from research. Um, for example, one researcher purposely infected himself with hookworm and found that his asthma went away. And then mm. when he killed the hookworm off, his asthma came back. Wow. Um, there's other cases, for example, where hookworm and other worm infections will cause irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease to clear up. But then when they kill the parasites, it comes back. Mm. so one of the things i show in the program is we don't want to have this kill everything mentality because the body is just unbelievably wise and a lot of the organisms produce chemicals and even the materials in their body i found for example people that are eating a lot of processed foods and using microwaves a lot tend to have a higher rate of worm infections And in my investigations into worm infections and into the composition of the body of a worm, I found that worms have a very high level of C-reactive or shock protein, which in our cells helps our cells be elastic. That's why if you know somebody slaps you in the face, it doesn't tear your skin, or if you fall down, your skin's quite elastic. It's it's uh, C C-reactive proteins, Mm. and they give us. So what I was identifying through my clinical observations is that people that are eating a lot of dead, overcooked junk protein often harvest worms in order to get fresh protein. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) The body is amazing.
2: Well, you know, one of the reasons I'm sharing that is because I've worked with athletes and all sorts of people who are chronic overtrainers and coffee drinkers and you know, they come with parasite infections and I tell them, look, you're going to have to follow my recommendation, rec- recommendations for working in, you're going to have to get to bed on time. I tell them, you know, I'm, I'm writing you a program. You've got to cut back on your training. And I designed the whole damn thing and lo- you know how they are. You they come back and I'm talking to them and I find out, oh, you added two hours of cycling and you added an extra hour in the gym. And they say, well, I just don't feel like I'm getting enough. And I'm like, <laughs> Good. So the point is, I've seen people go through six, eight, 10 rounds of parasite infections, and then they go do the kills and the cleans. I tell them, look, if you don't pull your head out of your fourth point of contact and follow the coaching that you're paying me to give you, you're going to run into a bigger problem because these parasites are a hell of a lot smarter than you are. And they learn to metabolize and eat every one of those herbs and drugs that you're throwing at them because they're that smart, and the next thing you know, you'll be in a situation where nothing will kill the damn things because they've learned how to metabolize everything you've used to try to kill them.
0: Definitely, and I think, you know, that's why if you, if you are going to, if, there, if it looks like there is um, some sort of parasite there, then you definitely don't want to attack it with antibiotics because they'll all become, if they're not already, antibiotic-resistant over time.
2: Yes. And the other thing too, is that what a lot of people don't realize is that fungal infections, in my experience, usually are precursors to parasite infections. So most people, I would say 95% of the people I've treated with parasite infections had a pre-existing or a a co-existing fungal infection. And the funguses, research shows that the funguses and the mycotoxins they produce can modulate the immune system and they can actually shut our immune systems down which then opens the door wide for parasite infections so i tell people if you have a fungal and a parasite infection you should really focus on the fungal infection first and it turns out as i'm sure you know that an antifungal diet is pretty much ideal for an anti parasite diet mm, definitely so if people keep messing around with funguses and feeding them sugar and going on binges you know then they're going to just be parasite (laughs) parasite hotels for the rest of their life and you know people don't realize each parasite has its favorite target organ to lay its eggs and they will bore you know you got liver flukes you got kidney flukes you got parasites that like the eyes the brain and even uh Uh, autism has been tracked by some reachers to parasite infections in the brain. So, you know, if you don't, what what we're really saying is if you don't really get a hold of these foundation principles and practice them and live them, then two things are happening. One, you're always treating symptoms of beliefs and behaviors that need to be the real uh, medicine. And two, you are uh, basically getting yourself sicker and sicker and more and more debilitated, which requires more and more drugs and more and more, you know, intense herbs, which overloads the detoxification pathways. And as those parasites, I've got a lot of great pictures of scarred organs from when the parasites eat into the organ. And I've got pictures of organs just covered in scar tissue from all the uh, parasites eating into them. So what happens is next thing you know, you're in the hospital and the doctor wants to cut out your uterus, which is the favorite, you know, the female, uh, the female sex organs are one of the favorite places for the ascaris worm, or they're cutting chunks out of your liver or parts of your brain out. And people don't, the doctors, I've never had a single doctor tell a patient, oh, this is because of a parasite infection. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you've been following my work for any length of time at all, you know how important organic food and organic farming is, not only for the health of the soil and to protect all the little beings in nature from toxic chemicals and throwing nature completely out of balance, which directly affects us, but also for our own health and well being. We all need nutrient dense foods for body mind well being. And I'm so excited about the Organify line. Organify is a product line made of certified organic source materials and i've checked this out personally i can guarantee you that one of my favorites that i've recently tried is their red juice which has acai and cordyceps infused into it it's a super super tasty product and it revitalizes skin cells supports your metabolism has antioxidants in it age-fighting nutrients helps mental clarity It's got a lovely natural sweet flavor, and something that I found really interesting, if you go to Organifi.com and look up the red juice, they show you a price per serving comparison against Palm Wonderful, Red Bull, Gatorade, and a Starbucks latte, and Organifi red juice is actually significantly more cost-effective considering not only the price, but the density of the nutrients in it. I think you'll be really amazed with this red juice, along with all their other products. If you go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and as you're checking out, use the code lowercase C-H-E-K twenty altogether. You will get a twenty percent discount on your Organifi purchases. I'm super excited to share this company. I've tested their products, my family's tested their products, and we're all behind them. And I know you're going to be satisfied. Because this is the real deal. This is true nutrition. Check it out. As you check out C-H-E-K-20 to get your discount. Thanks for joining me. Hope you to continue to enjoy the podcast. And if you love it, share it with as many people as you can. I'll tell you a wild story. I once had a lady that had a very bad ascaris worm infection. In fact, The first time she came to me, she looked like she'd seen the devil. And she pulls this jar out of her purse. And inside the jar was a worm about 16 inches long. And as soon as I saw it, I said, that's an Ascaris worm. I said, did you get that out of your poop? And she looked at me with tears in her eyes. She said, no, it came out of my vagina. Oh my gosh. And so she had... Uh, three occasions where worms came out of her vagina needless to say she was highly motivated patient <laughs> <laughs> yes. and the 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 real interesting part of the story is though she she had just come from the hospital where she had previously gone with another jar with the same Ascaris worm in it And left it with her doctor and said, I need you to identify what parasite this is, or I don't know what herbs to take. And this is right before she come to see me. She had just gotten the lab test results back. Guess what the lab test results said?
0: I have no idea.
2: No parasite detected. Of course they did. (laughs) She did this Three times, she actually took the parasite, and each time the test came back, no parasite <laughs> detected.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the other problem with functional testing.
2: <laughs> you know, the other, the other big issue you have in Australia, as bad or worse than we do here, is this absolute fanatical brainwashing about vaccinations. And these vaccines are loaded with mercury and aluminum and all sorts of toxic shit that shuts your immune system down and opens you wide for parasite infections. And when we have all sorts of mercury going into children's bodies and people's bodies in the name of vaccination, it causes neural entanglement, it causes autoimmune dysregulation, our autoimmune dysfunction. It's just loads and loads of problems that come from the heavy metals and vaccinations. And it just astonishes me that governments all over the world are just pretending that this stuff isn't dangerous.
0: I think um, Australia is probably the worst because what they're doing is basically financially blackmailing the parents. So um, you cannot receive any... um, subsidisation of any childcare unless your child is fully vaccinated. So basically they're holding the parents to ransom and forcing them to vaccinate their children. And in fact our vaccination rates are incredibly high since they brought that initiative in and they, you know, obviously the government is patting itself on the back for that and all of the anti-vaxxers are anti-vaxxers yeah are um concern super concerned so yeah we do um i mean there's there's a lot going on in australia but that i think that that particular policy is part of the reason and it's it's terrifying and and saddening that that that's happening and that parents are being forced
2: yeah it's so dangerous for the children it's it's uh oh yeah you know I imagine did you listen to my interview with yes. Sherry Tenpenny on? Yes. I mean,
0: yes, and I much- have shared that with so many people. And 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 I yeah. would love to interview her for our podcast as well. I, I saw that note that you sent. So yeah, it's yeah. uh it's horrifying actually. Um and I think yeah. what people don't understand <clears throat> is that the volume of vaccines that we're now required to inject into the children is vastly, vastly more than perhaps someone of my age, you know, was yes. ever exposed to. So, you know, and even one vaccine has more aluminium in it than is healthy for an adult, let alone a child. So, obviously, you've talked to, um, at length with Dr. Tennypenny about this, but it's, it's hugely problematic in Australia.
2: Yeah, you know, just people don't really realise how toxic mercury is. And here's a statistic I found in my research on mercury. If you have a mercury amalgam filling in your mouth, the amount of mercury that's released from that filling when you bite down to chew something, even one time, if it was found by the Environmental Protection Agency in, in a lake five acres square, they would have to quarantine the lake until it was detoxified.
0: It's it's scary, and I I actually think at this point we're all riddled with we are we're all riddled with mercury because it bioaccumulates as well. So we're not we're not getting rid of it. So it's and it's hugely problematic. And obviously, you know, at one time people were taking it, ingesting it as a medicine, and using it to make hats and all sorts of things. So it's 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 deeply embedded into our into our cells at this point.
2: Yeah, it is. You know, I know you're very familiar with my one, two, three, four formula, one love, two forces, three choices, four doctors for assessing clients and developing um, effective healing and coaching plans for each of your clients. I'm curious if you could share, uh, I've got a series of questions for you. We'll start with the first one. What is love,
0: Sarah? So I'm going to quote you back to you. (laughs) <laughs> because I love I love this definition of love and you've shared it in your uh, How to Evolve Yourself series on your podcast, which I loved as well. So love is the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self or other. So that's your beautiful definition and I think that's just going to sit there as a footnote because it's amazing and I love it. Um, but I suppose in the context of a holistic lifestyle coach, um, for me, you know, or or what I was taught by you is that love is the dream, love is the goal, love is the legacy, love is what we're here to do, love is our purpose and obviously love is God is love and all of those things as well. Um, But I was thinking about this in the context of working with people and in my experience and I think you have the same experience, most people are... So out of touch with what they, I mean, legacy and dream are are a distant um, concept. Um, yes, goal is potential. There is potential in the word goal, and and you know, I have to, I suppose, when I'm starting with clients, I have to either set goals around their well being or look at their nightmare. Which is, you know, what they don't want to happen. Um, yes. But it's really not until they've really worked on their those fundamentals, those foundation principles, to come back to them again, and really started to evolve their health and their spirituality and their mind and all of those components that they can then start to contemplate, and and they feel better, obviously that they yes. can then start to then I can potentially with some people and with some people not uh start to have that conversation about what what is it that you love? <laughs> what is it that you that fulfills you that you want to create in the world. But you know, for most people that is so abstract and and so distant from their actual reality. And we can go into why that is. I mean there's programming there that sort of Creates. Well, it
2: leads right. It leads right into my next question, which is, what do you feel happens to people when they uh, they keep working at jobs they don't love, or stay in marriages or partnerships when the love is gone because it's more comfortable and less scary than change, or less scary than being alone? And and you know, a lot of people are. Coming from religious ideology where they say, Till death do you part when they get married. And they believe if they leave somebody, even though their marriage is terrible and they're sleeping in different rooms and haven't had sex in years, that God's going to burn them in hell. So I'm curious, you know, how do you feel that's playing into people's A, inability to express love and feel love, and B, their own health challenges that lead them to all these doctors and therapists and tests and infertility clinics?
0: Well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. There is deep subconscious programming going on around what we should be doing. Um, so you know, yes, if we, even if we're not openly religious, I don't think we have as extreme sort of um, religious groups as you do in the states. But probably we do actually, since we seem to follow everything you guys do. But you know, if there's, if even if we're not religious, yes, marriage is some sort of vow that we take that we feel obligated to stay in, even if it doesn't feel right anymore. And likewise with jobs, um, likewise with just other relationships, I I feel that we have been um, conditioned or programmed to really just not... Paul, to be honest, it's just to not pay attention. It's to not trust our own inner voice. It's to not trust our own intuition. And so, you know, if we are out of alignment with what actually feels right for us, if we are not listening to our inner being, then that is going to create disharmony at a cellular level. And so, you know, that is going to start with it could start with a sore back. It could start with, you know, a a sore sort of upper thoracic and cervical spine. You know, that crouched over position, um, and lead to hormonal imbalances, or lead to infertility, or lead to something more chronic. But it's really, um, it's about living. It, the, the The reason it happens is that that it, you're living out of alignment with yes. what your inner being is asking you to do.
2: Yeah, you know, and really what our soul, which is the, you know, global name for the inner experience of self is always guiding us into a greater opportunity for fulfillment, a greater sense of connection and completion. And we 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 don't have any training. I mean, I teach my students as you know how to access their soul and But I've got over 120 books on the soul and not a single one of them teaches you. Well, actually, there's. I found one book actually written by a Korean uh, spiritual master who does give techniques for accessing the soul. They're different than the ones I use. But I've literally got 120 books on the soul and only one out of 120 talks anything about how do you access that consciousness within yourself listen to it and let it guide you so all people are left with is their mind which as you know is highly programmed which leads to a real spiritual conundrum
0: it really does yeah it definitely does
2: you know um there was another question that popped in my head but it popped out just as quick so i'll move on to you know I would love to hear what your thoughts are about the importance of love in a clinical practice as far as the practitioner expressing and exuding or sharing love
0: as a healing force and as a guiding force. So, you know, if we take that quote, so love is the flow of energy and information through empathic and com- compassionate connection to self or, in this case, other. So I suppose the first thing is I need to make sure that I am well nurtured yes. <laughs> so that I can then be of service to others. So, you know, I need to always make sure that I am still following the foundation principles myself. Yes. You know, so yes. I need to sleep so so much and I'm so militant around my sleep and I need to meditate, you know, every day and I need to get sun on my skin and I need to breathe, obviously that's part of my meditation process and I uh, practice and I need to move and I need to nurture myself and nourish my body. And all of that needs to happen before I can give anything to anybody else. And so- Which is,
2: I was just going to say, that's why in in all your training, you heard me mention probably many times, I before we always.
0: Yes, exactly.
2: You have got to take care of yourself.
0: Yes.
2: If you don't take care of yourself, you got nothing to give. All you can do is fake it.
0: Exactly, and I think that when you take care of yourself, you create the space. You can hold the space to allow that other person to open and receive their own healing, and 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 be a receptacle for that. If that makes sense,
2: absolutely. And you know, the other thing is, and I'm, I suspect you've observed this: the more we love and care for ourselves, two things happen. One, we become more centered in our being and our capacity to give and receive love, more unbound and and judgmental. So we actually have space inside of us to make room for another person with real challenges. Whereas if we don't have that, we tend to only look at people's challenges as intellectual problems. Oh, you got this, take that. Oh, well... Your husband's complaining about your food Well, you know, tell him to order out, you know, so it's always sort of like a mathematical left brain approach to it. But when we really love ourselves and we come into clinical practice with the wisdom and the understanding and the space inside of us for ourselves, then our whole field becomes a stabilizing force for that individual and they can get inspired by us. And, and I think we find ourselves needing less words and less fancy talk and more just saying, look, I know that this works because not only have I used it to heal myself from this or that, but I've watched many other people transform in beautiful ways by just being honest about meeting their needs. And when you meet your needs In a relationship such as a spousal relationship, then you actually have love to give in the relationship. But if you don't meet your needs, then it tends to always be, oh, I'm upset because he or she doesn't do this for me or won't give that for me or doesn't make love to me enough or wants too much sex. So in other words, we become codependent upon our partners to make us happy instead of realizing that we are responsible for creating happiness and love and sharing it with that person. And when we do that, we're not needy anymore. Then we can actually be present with who we're really with. Yes. I'm blessed because I have two wives that are very good at loving themselves and caring for themselves and, you know, know what they need to be happy. And and so it's amazing because we're, we, we live together like best buddies you know yes of course we love each other and we have beautiful um, intimacy in our relationships and but at the same time you know if i come home tired and don't feel like having sex it's not a big deal uh if if i you know get busy at work and my mind's occupied with a project and you know i didn't take the garbage out on time or whatever then someone else just grabs the garbage and takes it out and says,
0: Paul's really busy today, you know. <laughs> and that that's so hard to find in relationships. Yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, to come back to the, your initial point, it really is about focusing on I first. It is about on, yes. focusing on yourself first.
1: <clears throat> yes. In 35 years of professional practice, Paul has earned a reputation for being able to help clients when others have failed. If you listen to the episode featuring skateboard legend Danny Way, you've heard the story behind just one of those cases. That reputation, and all of the learning it took to get Paul there, was hard won. Paul flew all over the world to learn from experts, spent countless dollars on rare or out-of-print books, listened to hundreds of hours of lectures, tested out everything he learned, and devoted many, many hours of putting all the techniques together into one singular system of holistic health. It would take decades to reproduce his system if you started from scratch. Fortunately, you don't have to do that. If it's your calling to be the best health and performance professional that you can be to become a true master in resolving deep health challenges and helping athletes reach their optimal performance – then you're ready for the Czech Academy. We are thrilled to announce that we are now accepting applications to join this group of dedicated and passionate students into the most structured, comprehensive and affordable way to complete the entire system of Czech training. As a Czech Academy student, you'll grow personally and professionally in ways you never imagined because we've structured out an entire learning process for you designed to ensure you absorb every drop of knowledge in the courses you take and understand exactly how to implement what you've learned. And this truly is the most affordable way to learn the entire Czech system. Each course has been discounted for Academy students, plus you'll receive business training and mentorships that aren't available to any other Czech student, all for an affordable monthly fee. So if you're ready to learn Paul's system of holistic health and truly help people be their healthiest best, if you want to realise your own potential as a holistic health and performance coach, we invite you to apply now for the Czech Academy. Go to checkinstitute.com forward slash academy to get started. And now let's get back to this episode of Living 4D with Paul Check.
2: You know, people, people in the kind of social culturing, and uh, enculturation process of, of the Western culture, which is totally based on Christian values and second place would be Islamic values. And then third place would be Jewish values. Those, Religions are all based on giving everything away, doing Mm -hmm. everything for everybody else, right? And, you know, that's sort of their way to earn brownie points to get to heaven or be a good person or be in good standing in the church or the temple. But having treated, for example, many women with breast cancer um, and work with them, the most common thing I see with breast cancer is women that actually start to resent the very people. That they've been conditioned to believe they have to love in the name of God or in the name of being loved back. But when you start loving people and your inner voice and your inner story is resentful, that's how you get breast cancer or another disease.
0: Definitely. And, you know, having worked with mostly women, hundreds and hundreds of women at this point over the last seven years, it is, again, it's deeply, deeply programmed to basically put, particularly for women, every single other human pretty much on the planet's needs before your own.
2: Yeah. And that leads
0: to dis-ease.
2: It does, very, very effectively.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, we are nurturers. We are the mother archetype, a lot of us. Um, But yeah. mm-hmm. we need to be a mother to ourselves first, you know. Yes. And this is what I am constantly, constantly covering with my female clients is you have to put all of these belief systems down. You have to put them down and you have to come back to you because it's like that analogy of the airplane and the oxygen masks. You have to put it on yourself first because otherwise you can't put it on your child. But if you ask most women, who do you put it on? They say, oh, I put it on my child first. And then you die.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And now the child's abandoned. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
2: I'm curious how, how you feel people's programming about experiencing love through sex either enhances or detracts from their well-being.
0: So, look, I was thinking about this question, and I suppose I feel that both love and sex are so complicated for so many people. And again, I feel there's a bit of a repetitive theme going on with us, but there's so many sort of deep societal and religious conditioned programming are uh, running in terms of both sex and love that I think a lot of people have, in my experience, a lot of people have blockages around both. And if sex is a conduit and the only conduit for love, uh, then I think that that can really create disharmony in the body. And ultimately, I think in women um, having programming, negative programming around sex, which I think is is even bigger than the love, but obviously they're related to each other, can result and and often does result in inflammatory conditions down in the sex organs, so fibroids, endometriosis, infertility, yes, and and the yeah. like, because obviously uh, there's a lot of shame associated with sex and with our sex organs and with our bodies in general. And this is just a a, a random thought bubble that came into my mind this morning actually. You know, a lot of women can probably, I I don't know what the statistics are and maybe you do, but a lot of women are not able to orgasm, which is uh, I suppose the ultimate um, act of letting go and trusting is to that's it to orgasm is 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 it is ultimately letting go. And so so many women don't they're not allowing themselves to let go. And then now what I see working with so many women around fertility is um you know what I'm really encouraging them to do, you know, beyond nurturing the baby preconceptively and then during pregnancy is to have a natural birth. But so many women can't and they say that if a woman has trouble orgasm orgasming i don't know if that, i've said that correctly she will yes, also orgasm, yeah. she will also um have trouble delivering the baby because she's she can't let go and and right. sort of you know just be uh i suppose vulnerable it's vulnerability in a way so, I mean, there's so many layers, but that was just in the context of my work, I, I, I thought about that and I thought, wow, we're, we're so programmed that we're, we're actually doing even, you know, the most fundamental thing for women to do, one of the most fundamental things, which is laboring, we're, we're doing ourselves um, a disservice even, even in delivering our children because of our programming around sex and love.
2: Absolutely, and and I've had more women than I can count that one of their chief complaints when I start coaching them is that they can't have orgasms. You know, you know, as I talk to them, so well, how long's it been since you had an orgasm? Oh, it's been ten years, or I've never had one. And I so I say, well, does it matter which sexual partner you've ever been with? No. Well, really, that boils down to a fear of giving yourself over to your partner. And what I've found to be at the root of that many, many times is if a person doesn't have enough love, respect, and trust in themselves, then the ego is afraid to release itself to somebody else for fear. If they can pleasure them that fully, then they have too much power over them and they may may lose control to them because the act of an orgasm is a complete loss of control. It's actually a very deep spiritual experience. So... The homework I give them and 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 then I ask them, well, don't you masturbate? Can you bring yourself to an or oh, I I I've never masturbated. Why? Well, because I was told as a child, especially in Catholic churches, that it was very sinful and and that I could burn in hell for that. And I've never been able to get that out of my mind. So I tell them, look, you're making somebody else responsible for your sexual pleasure, which means you've turned your partner into an object. And paradoxically, you're frustrated because they're not giving you orgasms, but you're not willing to give one to yourself. So what you really have now is is a very childish situation where just like a child expects mommy to feed it and clothe it, you're expecting your partner to be responsible for you orgasming, but you're not responsible enough to give yourself an orgasm. And if you don't know how to give your partner or yourself an orgasm, how on earth are you going to teach your partner how to do it? A lot of people think that, especially women, unfortunately, so forgive me, ladies, but a lot of women think that men are supposed to somehow intuitively mind read them and know exactly how to touch them. But I tell men all the time, if you think reading books about giving a woman an orgasm is going to help, you're going to be very shocked at how wrong you are. (laughs) The only way you can give a woman an orgasm is to go into a really deep, open listening state and feeling state and just follow her lead. But if a woman's afraid to lead, then there's nothing for a man to follow. So you get a lot of very painful relationship challenges. And one of the things that I do with my clients, and I don't know if I ever taught this to you guys in class, but whenever I see these kinds of challenges, I say, here's one of the most important things you can do for yourself and for your partner in your relationship. Get a piece of paper and I have them do this sometimes right in front of me, if, if if I have the time to do it, you write down, I am loving you when, and then you write down all the things that you do that are expressions of your love to your partner, whether it be cooking, cleaning, caring for the kids, managing the bank accounts, Anything that you inside of yourself deem an act of love, particularly the things that you don't really enjoy doing, but you do it anyhow, like my wife, Penny, does not like to cook, but she's a damn good cook. So I know whenever she cooks food for me, it's a genuine act of love because if she had it her way, we'd hire a full-time chef and she'd never cook again. And then the next question is, I feel loved by you when... And then you write down all the things that your partner does for you that are interpreted for you as love. And one of the things that shocks the hell out of men is oftentimes women do not write down sex when they write down what makes them feel loved. Many women actually feel like they're having to give sex just to keep the peace in the relationship or get their partner to stop complaining or whatever it is and Then their partner writes down, I feel loved by you when, and I am loving you when, and I say, now you sit down and compare notes. And many people are very shocked that many of the things that they thought were acts of love towards their partner were not received as acts of love. They were acts of service. And so learning what each other's love language is and hearing it right from them and then Being consciously aware of what it is that your partner is doing as an expression of love is very, very important because if some people, many people think they're only being loved, many men especially think they're only being loved when they're getting sex, but they don't realize that their partner is very, very tired and has no desire to cook or to clean the house or is exhausted of running after the kids. So all the while, they don't realize that their woman is loving them deeply but they only measure that love through sexual interaction. So this is a, a very, very profound healing tool that I've been using. Actually, I'll, I hate to tell you how I learned it. I learned it going to divorce counseling with my first wife and it was shocking to me. So when I realized how powerful the experience was, I've been using it ever since. And that was, uh, well, I've been married to Penny for 22 years. So that was about 24 years ago, I had that wake up call.
0: Uh, that That is uh, a great tool and it's definitely something that I want to incorporate into working with my clients. But I also just wanted to quickly comment on men's sexuality because I suppose because men mostly do ejaculate, there's not yes. as much um, rumination <laughs> or, um, I don't know, thoughts or, feelings around whether or not they are deriving pleasure from sex. Um, It's sort of a foregone conclusion. But I think that there is potential for men to also tap into sex as a spiritual practice um, through conscious ejaculation or, um, you know, uh, withholding their ejaculation and, 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 you know, tapping into orgasm as something distinct yeah. from ejaculation.
2: Yeah, it's very important. Most men don't realize that ejaculation and orgasm are different things. No. And sort of one of the challenges, see, you know, when a woman's mucus secretions increase, she doesn't necessarily mean she's um, sexually excited. But when a man ejaculates, he's physically sexually excited. But an orgasm for a man and a woman is a total body experience. It's a brain experience. It's a hormone experience. Every cell in your body is, you know, all of a sudden coming into total harmony. It's like, imagine every cell in your body is like a dancer on a dance floor. And at the moment of orgasm, all of them are in perfect step. So it has a very, very powerful resetting system and uh, a resetting effect, like rebooting a computer but it also brings us to a state where there is no mental activity whatsoever so we're in what would be the functional equivalent of samadhi in a um, metaphysical perspective a deep union experience and that union of course is with the source or with god and so i think a lot of men cut themselves short because they keep thinking the ejaculation is all there is but if you you know you you if you spend some time as a man um, going more deeply into the act of loving yourself instead of just alleviating the pressure of what was often referred to as TMS. It's the, are you familiar with TMS? No. It's the male equivalent of PMS, except it stands for too, too much sperm. (laughs) 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 So when men, have that sense of my balls are full and it's driving me crazy well some of them will alleviate it but they think that's an orgasm but it's not it's just an ejaculation it's just like you know popping a big pimple in the the joy of releasing all that pressure in the skin but an actual orgasm is a very sacred very beautiful deep experience and it's it's much harder for a man to have an orgasm by himself unless he spent a lot of time really exploring himself and getting over any inhibitions and judgments about it. But when you have a good, intimate union with a partner that you love enough to fully, fully love and just let it all go, you know, let every re- form of resistance or fear go, and she does the same. Well, there's. I'm sure you know there's nothing more amazing than a simultaneous orgasm with your partner. And if a man and a woman reach orgasm at the same time, they become one with all that is. And they have a truly deeply spiritual experience that can have a profound bonding effect for the rest of their life.
0: Absolutely. I think that's the best way to make a baby too, personally.
2: <laughs> well, you know, and uh, in, in, in actually in, in native cultures, they often said that the the health and vitality and intelligence of the child is often a reflection of the quality of sex that was happening when it was
0: conceived. Yeah, I I think that's right. They were onto something as they are with most things.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Angie and I always giggle because, you know, Mana is just like <laughs> full on. <laughs> He's just like super bright, super strong, super intelligent and just beautiful. And we're, we always giggle because we know how he got made. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Love it. So, you know, moving on to a slightly different topic, I'm wondering, what do you feel intuition is? And how do you feel that the strength and reliability of one's intuition has anything to do with the way they love themselves, others, or how they relate to love in general? And I ask you this because so many people I run across or work with seem to be challenged to access their intuition and particularly to trust it. So what do you think it is and what's your thoughts on why people are so challenged to access and trust their intuition?
0: So firstly, um, you know, to the uninitiated, intuition is another sense that we have completely lost connection with that, you know, our ancestors were Highly, highly, you you know, attuned to and using on on the, the daily. Um, so you know, it's just another sense that our body needs um, to, I suppose, to give. I mean, I suppose maybe historically and ancestrally, it was designed to give us a, um, an another advantage in terms of sensing danger. Um, yes, yeah. and but but I suppose you know, over time, and we call it our intuition now, although I, you know, I doubt many people actually have access to it. Um, and I suppose, you know, I feel like the reason that we don't uh, have access to our intuition anymore is because of the programming. So we've basically been told and sort of learned, and modelled over time that, you know, we shouldn't be trusting our own thoughts or our own feelings and that um, we need to pay attention to the programming and we need to listen to what society or religion or our parents tell us over what we might be feeling on the inside if that makes sense. And so yes. and so I suppose you know ultimately, you know, intuition is linked into self-love because it yes. it means coming back to ourselves, and 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 again, I feel a, a little bit like a broken record, but hopefully, I don't sound like one too much. But it it comes initially with fine-tuning the the body instrument so that we can listen, and, and ultimately, that is an act of self-love. And then yes. also, I think you know. Learning to trust our own voice above the voice, the voices of other, is also an, an act of self-love because it means potentially um, moving away from people that we also love, or saying, I, "I choose to not listen to you," or "I choose to do something differently than what you have um, expected of me." If that makes sense.
2: Yes. Well, you know, I explore these things, as you probably know, and (laughs) I've spent countless hours meditating on issues of God, love, intuition, and asking my soul to help me understand these things so that I can live more fully and help others do the same. And one of the things about intuition is a lot of people confuse instinct with intuition. So, for example, you hear you ask somebody, well, how did you know to turn there or to buy that house or make that investment? And they say, well, you know, I just had a gut instinct. But the difference is that our instincts are based on survival uh, drives. So, you know, natives were very good at finding water because they instinctually had the ability to sense water, either due to looking at the vegetation or to smelling it in the air and noticing changes in the amount of moisture in the environment, um, watching the animals and tracking where they went for water. But our, our instincts are things like the instinct to move, the instinct to eat or stop eating, the instinct for sleep, um, the instinct to protect ourselves, Um, the instinct for love and community and sharing because that was a necessary function for survival in nature, Um, and the instinct for creativity. Jung makes it very clear that creativity is actually an instinct because if we're not creative, we cannot come up with novel solutions to real problems. But when I meditated deeply and asked my soul to show me where intuition comes from, I had very beautiful and profound visions, and what my soul showed me is that our mind is like a neuron in a brain, and the brain is the entire universe itself, and that when we ask a question that we don't have the answer to, that we can't get the answer to with our thinking mind, our intellect, or our instincts that the universe because the universe is us. People think the universe is out there and we're in here, but there is no out there or in here in the universe. Everything's inside the universe and everything is inside of God. So the way we look into ourselves, the the, the universe is what's inside of God. We're in God's belly and this is what it looks like, <laughs> pretty wild, eh? And so when we have when we draw on our intuition, We reach a point of open receptivity where we ask the question, such as, what is intuition? And then if we relax and just remain open, all of a sudden we get flashes of insight or we have a picture that's worth thousands of words come to us. But what I actually learned by looking at this clairvoyantly is that when we use intuition, the entire mind of God, or the mind of the universe, is responding to us, and all we've got to do is just stay open and receptive. But if we keep trying to solve the problem and keep trying to think about it and think about it, I tell people your mind is like a garbage disposal; it chops stuff up into little bit bits so you can, you know, string a sentence together or a paragraph. Those are all bits of a of, a, of an overarching thought or idea. And if you keep the garbage disposal running and you stick your hand in it, it'll chop your fingers up. So in order to use intuition, you've got to stop the garbage disposal of the mind so that great spirit can reach his hand in and give you the message that's the answer to the question that you've been asking. But one of the things I've seen that causes so many people not to have access to their intuition is because whenever we access our intuition, we have the same issue as asking our soul a question. And that is that the ego is deathly afraid that it's going to get an answer that may tell it no you can't have the cookies or no you can't have sex with that person or you shouldn't have sex with that person or no that's not a good investment maybe you've convinced yourself you've you've got some get rich quick scheme so one of the reasons i find people's intuition doesn't work for them is because they haven't reached a level of maturity to trust that there is greater wisdom guiding us all the time. And if you don't have enough spiritual courage to listen to the soul or listen to intuition, knowing that it may take you in a completely different direction, you know, like I've seen people's entire careers change. I've people seen people listen to their soul and know it was time to leave 10 year marriages with three kids or time to, close or sell a business and start a business completely different. And even though they were scared to death at the level of the ego, their trust in spirit, their trust in the universe or trust in God was great enough. And they I've never met a single person that looked back after listening to their soul or their intuition and two or three years later didn't say, oh my God, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I, you know, Now I've got a new wife. We get along perfectly. We've got a business together i'm the happiest person i've ever been and if i would have stayed in that other relationship i probably would have got cancer and died because it was the easy way out so the point i'm making is that it takes spiritual courage to really use your intuition because god always tells the truth and if the ego is not ready for the truth then we get stuck in our head and that's a very dangerous place to be but to use intuition we need to to center ourselves in our heart and in the trust of that which is the source of our own existence. And that's why they say the greatest journey you'll ever take is only a foot long from your head to your heart.
0: Absolutely. Do you remember we had a moment in HLC3 where we were working with intuition and you were training us to work with intuition around the HAQ? Do you remember this exercise? probably don't
2: possibly uh, uh, once you tell me (laughs) I'll remind you
0: so um you we had to guess one of your scores for the HAQ and it wasn't guessing we had to we had to ask for guidance and use our intuition and 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 um yeah I tapped into my soul I tapped into your soul and I I got the number and I opened my eyes and you were looking at me and you you knew that you had given it to me. You had some sort of insight as well and it was amazing and it was just an, an, a beautiful reminder of what is possible when we do tap into our intuition.
2: Well, here's the secret: the ego creates the illusion that Sarah's sitting over there and Paul's standing over there, but the reality of it is, if you get the ego out of the way,
0: we're everywhere. Then
2: Sarah's. Sarah is an expression of the same source that Paul is, and it's just God interacting with God, because without that interaction, there's no way God can experience love. You know, the reality of it is God, there's only one God, or it's not God, and therefore God is terribly alone. So God creates the sense of individuality in order to create a veil, which makes us think That everyone else is different because they look different, talk different, walk different, live in different countries. But in reality, it's God doing what God does so well, which is creating an illusion that's necessary for love to have the ability to flow through empathic and compassionate communication to self or other. Because even in ourselves, I say to people all the time, look at your hand and tell me what you're looking at. Everyone says, my hand. I say, ah, my hand. My is a possessive. So now tell me who is it that's possessing the hand? When you say my body, who is it that's possessing the body? Of course, that can take years of meditation for the average person to figure out. Mm. But who the what's in possession of my hand is also in possession of Sarah's hand. (laughs) 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 And because it likes to be handy, then when we go deep enough into our heart, we have access to anything provided that it is an act of love. And if it's not an act of love, then it's the practice of black magic and there's karma attached to that. Mm. So, yeah, you know, it's fun hearing these things because I've been teaching this thing, these things for so long. It's neat to hear your experiences of them so many years ago. I'm wondering what kinds of things have you done to help people develop and trust their own intuition as a therapist or a coach?
0: As I feel like I've already sort of articulated this, but I feel like the body needs to be healthy before that's even possible. So it is, you know, it's a little bit like finding the dream. it's, It's possible when the body... Is starting, I mean, if we think about our nervous system, you know, yep. and the environmental stresses, then, you know, I mean, that obviously needs to be, our nervous system needs to be calm. You alluded to that for us to yep. even have the capacity to listen to the inner voice yep. as opposed to the monkey mind. So bringing stressors down in all of their forms is the first step in allowing them to access their inner voice i believe um,
2: i believe you're right you know the, <laughs> the 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 body mirrors the the ego right who's making all the choices that got you to be unhealthy in the first place your ego is yes so until you have a healthy body chances are really good that you have an unhealthy ego because as above the intellectual process the the self-reference is the source of the choice. And if the choices are not producing health, then they're producing stress. And once you start stressing the animal body, it goes into a self-centered defense mode and orients itself towards survival. And only a healthy person can actually access their intuition in a survival state. But to be a healthy person and access your intuition, you also has to have deep trust that there is something beyond you that you're part of that loves you and is interested in your well-being and that's where true spiritual growth and development comes in and i'm very sure that we are guided into the very situations that we have to be in in order to learn to trust and let go so we learn that there is something beyond our own ego that's guiding us and If we really embrace life fully, then I think that we grow without needing to attract nightmares into our lives. But if we don't listen and we don't learn to access our own soul and trust ourselves, my experience is that we attract events into our lives that force us into a checkmate position where doctors and therapists and books won't help us. The only way out is to get still enough to get clear on who and what we really are and the sad part of, of it is, as you well know, people run to doctors and therapists of all kinds, but most of them never find a doctor or a therapist that actually guides them into themselves. It's always to another test or another uh, pill or another procedure, unfortunately, which is why I developed the Czech uh, Institute to help you know, train people to really understand what health and healing
0: is. And I think ultimately, you know, some people only really end up able to access that invoice on their deathbed. And that is what it took.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's that's better late than never. <laughs> True. <laughs> At least if you access it then you you might have lose some of your fear of death. You finally <laughs> solve the riddle on your way out the door. It's like, well, oh, it's a little late. Yeah. Well, with the state of modern medicine being what it is, how important do you feel holistic health coaching is as an adjunct to conventional medicine approaches?
0: So I really like the sort of the way that um, another health professional, and he is actually a traditional Chinese medicine doctor and also um, a functional medicine doctor. His name's Chris Cressar. He's actually based in-
2: Oh, yeah. Do you know I've, Chris I've Kresser? interviewed him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I interviewed him. Uh, I've got a podcast coming out with him. Yes, I oh, really great. enjoyed him.
0: Yes, yes. I love um, he wrote a book called Unconventional Medicine recently. He's got uh-huh. a couple of books and he sort of talks about the way he sees the future of medicine moving and I really hope that his insights and foresights are are leading us in the right direction and, and sort of do happen. Um, but he sort of and I sort of I suppose will draw a picture of a pyramid so um, if we imagine that the pyramid is the healthcare industry, and on the base of that pyramid is the health coaches. And so, health coaches form the majority of um, interventions in terms of health. And it's based on, you know, looking at the foundational principles and lifestyle factors and working on the underlying root causes at that level to create a base of preventative health ultimately. And then the next level up of that pyramid would be functional medicine. So for people that, despite the implementation of those fundamentals, were still having some health issues. And we've obviously touched on some of the reasons that we might use a functional medicine doctor. And then the tiny top part of that um, three-tiered pyramid is general practitioners, so for people again that have um, done the functional medicine, I mean, you and I would probably think that if they've done um, the base of the pyramid, if they've worked with those, an effective coach, hopefully they won't need that. But um, but for that very small percentage of people that then need further medical interventions, they're up um, attending, being attended to by either GPs and obviously emergency um, medicine, which plays its own role. And yes, I just think that that is is how health coaching is going to be an effective adjunct to conventional medicine.
2: Yes. I think it's critical because there's just countless, there's seas of people out there that in all fairness to them, they're doing the best they can with the conditioning they have and the level of awareness they have. and And, you know, if we were to be able to to do a, some kind of a survey for you know, the worldwide population of how many people actually know what a holistic health coach is or what a life coach is or what an acupuncturist is or how many of them have ever had massage therapy or acupuncture, the number would be really, really small. I mean, it's like the allied healthcare professions are still, it's a very big growing area because medicine's failing so bad people have no choice. But I think most people out there are still really stuck in their con- in social conditioning, and and with that social conditioning comes a deep distrust of holistic and alternative practitioners.
0: It does, and I, I suppose it's a bit like the religious conditioning. It you know one of the programs that's running is you know trust the expert, trust the MD, mm-hmm. you know trust the specialist, you know don't don't trust someone that is um, perceived to be on the fringes and is doing something that is, you know, not particularly conventional.
2: Yeah, you reminded me of a joke. What is an expert?
0: I don't know. (laughs) What is it?
2: (laughs) It's a son of a bitch from out of town with a shitload of slides. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's all you've got to do to be an expert just come to another town with a lot of slides and you're the expert
0: <laughs> love it
2: so uh you had a, you know the the funny thing is the re you know why the expert is called a son of a bitch from out of
0: town I know why
2: because experts almost always tell you everything that you're doing is wrong <laughs> so that guy's a <laughs> son of a bitch man or that woman you know, so, you know, um, I'm having a great time talking to you. Thank you. It's so fun to, you know, look at life with such honesty. Um, I'm wondering, you know, uh, conventional medical doctors, nurses, and related professionals have often little or no interest in holistic approaches, and they often look at them as hippies and throwbacks. I'd love to hear how you've managed to develop, uh, relationships with, uh, traditional medical professionals to support your practice and the patients you share. How have you uh, made made a bridge?
0: I want to share a story in relation to this, and then I suppose I'll, um, following from that, sort of share what I've found to be um, the most effective way to work with more conventional medical practitioners, which I've worked with many over the last seven years. So, recently I had a beautiful young woman come and see me and she, you know, um, probably in her mid-30s and she had been, uh, she had done uh, a very high number of IVF cycles. So, she um, had done more than 10. She said that her child, her unborn future child was going to a public school because she had literally spent their private school education on trying to conceive them. So, she, yeah, she she was... um, and she was in a, a pretty bad way. She was incredibly inflamed and overweight and and most of this was a byproduct of not only her lifestyle choices over the course of her life but also all of the IVF drugs. Anyway, she had yeah. um, chronic fibroids that were sort of all over her um, uterus and just sort of in the way and um, unfortunately they hadn't been picked up and only had recently been picked up in a scan. And we worked together for some time and worked on all of the things that we've already discussed today and obviously both know intimately and well, all of the Czech principles. And um, she was due to go in for surgery. So she was having surgery to remove all of the fibroids and they'd actually told her that they wouldn't be able to remove all of the fibroids but they would do the best that they could to give her the best possible chance of conception with the IVF transfer of the embryo. And so I said to her, I have a feeling that your fibroids aren't there anymore. I don't know why, but I feel like you should um, go and get a second opinion or just um, investigate whether or not you actually need that keyhole surgery because, yeah, based on um, how well you are and um, and particularly on the, on your cycles, on your period, your menstrual cycle, I really, I'm not sure the fibroids are there. So anyway, she went to see her um, medical specialist who just happens to be the most prominent and well-known medical specialist in WA in terms of women's health and fertility, um, the most prominent um, gynecologist. And she said, I I would like to have another scan to check before you go in and put me under general anaesthetic. And he said, there is no way that dietary interventions – because obviously she said that she was doing some things, mainly with her diet is the easiest thing to say yeah. to a medical professional. He said there's no yeah. way on God's green earth, He probably used those words, but I'm, I'm, I'm using those right now, that, um, that, that your fibroids have disappeared or gone away. There is no point doing that. Um, let's just book you in for the surgery, which she I think had already booked. So she went in for her um, keyhole surgery and uh, lo and behold – they um, put the camera inside, put obviously under general anaesthetic and there was absolutely nothing there.
2: Amen. <laughs>
0: A whole great spirit. Woo! I know. And the uh, the like I said, the, the most prominent gynecologist in Perth, in Western Australia, was absolutely gobsmacked and his mind was absolutely blown to the point that, he sort of waited around for her to come out of the general anaesthetic, which obviously is the domain of normally nurses or other people and not not the specialist um, yeah. because he just had to tell her because he was just absolutely blown away and, and, and then came back when she had sort of fully released all of the general anaesthetic to again just sort of he was blown away. And I suppose the reason that I tell that story is because That's the best thing that I can do to nurture a relationship with a conventional medical practitioner is to, um, you know, be the best that I can be in terms of, um, you know, loving my clients, which is really, you know, loving myself and also allowing them the space to love themselves more fully and then allow them to and obviously a lot of people that i see have relationships with other conventional medical professionals and then they get to see the the byproduct of that process and then ultimately mm-hmm. from that they refer
2: you know when i first moved to san diego um the license that I got, which was the only one that I could get to kind of practice in the so-called medical field, but allied medical field, which was I got my training as a sports massage therapist and got my massage therapist license. And there was at the time there was five massage schools in San Diego and just massage therapists on every corner. And if you open up the San Diego um, newspaper. Even to this day, if you fold the page out to the ads, there is oftentimes five or six columns of massage therapists offering massage for as cheap as 15 bucks an hour because the competition so strong here. And so my strategy was, I'm just going to go to doctors and therapists and of all types, everybody from acupuncturists to chiropractors, to osteopaths, to medical doctors. And that's what I did. I just went to them. And I said, send me your toughest clients. Send me the people that when you see them on your schedule, you go, oh my God, not that person again, because those ones you got nothing to lose with. And if I can help them, then we all win. And that's how I built my business. I just kept helping people that they didn't think could get better. And the next thing you know, doctors, usually they would send their wife or their child or you know their teenage athlete or something to me. And then when they got results, then they started coming. And I actually got to the point where I had 36 different doctors that were actually not only referring me, but seeing me as a client. And that built the foundation of my entire business. But one of the things I wanted to share with you, and I realized what I was going to say a little earlier and forgot, I've had many cases of women that have had hysterectomies and came to me because all the symptoms, all the pain was exactly the same, even though their uterus was gone and they were completely baffled as to how that could be. And so I had to explain to them what subtle energy fields are and how your organs and your body tissues are the product of the energy and information flowing through your subtle energy fields. So I would use diagrams and show them how the chakra system works and how the mind works and give them, you know, the explanation they needed. But then I would notice from my assessment and also I would just read their energy field or evaluate their chakra system that every single case when we dealt with the actual issues which almost always has something to do with sexual beliefs or unresolved sexual trauma their pain was completely gone and the question then came every single time I probably didn't need a hysterectomy did I of course not if you would have gotten in the hands of somebody that knew really how to work with you to heal the actual issues. No, your uterus would have healed. You'd have your sex organs in place and you'd be, you know, happy as a clam. And so it's sad because a lot of people are losing body parts because they're not actually ever getting in the hands of people that help them address the real, uh, you know, causative issues. I'm wondering if you have any advice for check trained professionals that want to share referrals with the professional medical community so that they have a better chance of uh, getting the support if there's something you'd like to share other than what you've already shared.
0: I think uh, you gave some really great advice there. <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm going to start um, reaching out and asking for their toughest clients and, and seeing how that goes. But, no, I've, I feel that the best thing that any check trained professional can do is, is work as hard as they can, be the best example of health and, and, and share that love with their clients. And I think, you know, ultimately they will then get referrals.
2: I, I, I've seen it happen over and over again. I tell my students all the time in holistic lifestyle coach training and Czech practitioner training, if you can't make a good living teaching what I'm teaching you now, then you need to sit under a tall tree and ask yourself, what is the inner blockage you have to truly being successful and helping people? Because it's a personal issue. It's not an environmental issue. And I've had Czech professionals and HLC practitioners I'll give you an example. A long time ago, one of my level four practitioners, I think he was only charging $60 an hour and he was in level four. I'm like, oh my God, you should be charging at least 200 bucks an hour. Oh, nobody will pay that where I'm from. I'm from a small, in fact, he was from the same town I grew up in, (laughs) exactly the same town. And I'm like, there's no way that they won't pay that. I said, you will be surrounded with people that are at their wits' end And I've had people uh, sell cars and second mortgage houses to get appointments with me. And that is a fact. And um, so he was just going on and on and on. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you want to set up a workshop so that I can come to town and make enough money to cover my costs, I will put the word out. I will write up a couple of marketing pieces for you. At that time, I was charging three fifty dollars an hour. By the time I got there, I was booked solid. People who had f- never heard of me for the first time read the marketing pieces I gave him to share and said somehow they just knew that I would be able to help them. And I demonstrated to him that within one week, within not even a week, I got there with a full schedule. All that you have to do is have the space inside of you and open up your own um receptivity knowing that if you're giving a service and it's at a fee that is legitimately what you're giving to that person that the universe will always give it back to you and i learned that from studying napoleon hill's work napoleon hill says you'll always get what you ask if the service you give is is reflected in the prices you charge but if you're charging high prices and the service is deficient you'll always have business troubles and eventually go out of business. And this is why I tell all my students and practitioners, you really have to do a good job at managing yourself and being honest. And if you get up in the morning and you don't feel like being around people or you're tired of listening to people complain about their problems, that's the day you cancel your patients and go lay on the beach or lay in the sun and give yourself what you need or you're going to start destroying your own business because people unconsciously pick that up and then they stop coming. So moving on, we talked about this a little. Um, I'm wondering how big of a factor do you feel that an individual's childhood parenting experiences and the kinds of programming they were exposed to uh, we talked about the religious component, but exposed to with regard to developing chronic illness, anxiety, depression, and diseases such as cancer is. In other words, to summarize that, how often do you find that uh, what's ailing people and is really troubling them at a deep level has something to do with trauma and pain from their childhood?
0: Yeah, I think, well, I mean, we have touched on this already. Um I actually sort of want to relay another personal story, and I think it relates to what we're talking about, and then we can sort of move into a clinical perspective. But um, around 2014, I um, I was engaged to be married, and um, that engagement was felt so incredibly wrong, but I felt the societal and parental sort of expectation to get married and also to have a child and I desperately wanted to have a child. So I um, decided to ignore my inner being and do what was expected of me by my family conditioning really and societal like yeah. I said and ultimately it ended in a dark night of the soul I fell into a very very deep depression and I'll be honest and say I was actually suicidal at the time and thankfully you should have called me I should have called you Paul. I was I was I was in a very dark <laughs> dark place and uh, thankfully I I I did the painful thing I let my family down my father was so devastated. And and disappointed, um, and obviously he was still you know attempting to be loving and supportive at my um, disclosure to him that I was cancelling the wedding, which was you know booked and organised and all of those things, um, and leaving the relationship, um, and you know, but out of that experience blossomed so many. I mean, my business actually, interestingly, my business was not thriving at that point um, understandably because, you know, I wasn't vibrating, I wasn't in alignment. Um, and so ultimately my business, when I left, that was obviously painful, but I left and, um, and, and took that Painful step away from the programming and and my family's expectations and um, yeah, ultimately my business then started to really thrive and really take off. That was when it really picked up and 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 became nicely financially viable for me. And and then I attracted in this beautiful partner that was super keen to start trying to have a baby. And obviously, the trying was really fun too. Um, yeah. And and you know, ultimately manifested and created this um beautiful child and relationship. Um and so, you know, I suppose in terms of that childhood, well, it's not really trauma, it's more about that sort of programming, really, you know, for me, yeah. you know, absolutely, you know. It it nearly took me. I think you used an example before, but it did. It nearly took me into um, what would have ultimately resulted in um, my business failing, and you know probably dis-ease or disease of some description in the future if I'd if I'd stayed on that path.
2: So yes, it happens all the time. Yeah, I'm pr- very proud of you for for listening to your intuition.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad because it, you know, the the thing that people need to know is that when you are courageous enough to move away from the pain and towards what is calling you, you know, there is gold there. There's, that. that's where the potential is and that's where the possibilities are. And, 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 and most of the time, you know, a, a beautiful pot of gold is at, is at the end of of that experience. So, um, but in, in terms of childhood trauma, I suppose, you know, I think I'd first like to say that I think everybody is doing the best job that they know how to do with the resources that they have. But I think, you know, but I think that our, um, you know, our parents and their parents before them certainly, um, have, not necessarily parented us in the best possible way and this ultimately means that most people are you know even if they had a a seemingly in inverted commas normal um family relationship um do carry deep wounds into adulthood um and I think that's generational
2: yeah it is generational and you know it's in my opinion, when people ask me why do I think this is uh, continuing to happen, I tell them, you know, based on my research into this, which is quite extensive, I track it right down to the breakdown of tribal society. We've lost our elders. We are now quite alone. You know, our our elder people aren't respected as wise people in tribal societies. When the husband, when the when the parents would go off hunting and gathering then the kids would spend half the day on average with the the elders, which we would call the grandparents. And they were the ones that taught them uh, through arts, through crafts, through dance, through song, through storytelling. And they made education fun. And because they were the oldest, wisest people in the tribe, they were the most empathetic and compassionate. But today, what do we do? You know, like my mother was, you know, my, my father took off, left her alone at 18. She had three kids. She had to work two, eight hour a day, waitressing jobs back to back to pay a babysitter. So I was raised largely for the first, you know, probably six or seven years of my life by babysitters, many of which I didn't even know and had no sense of connection to whatsoever. So I hardly got to see my mother. And then when she got remarried, it You know, it was nice for a year or two. Then it was just like walking through hell for the rest of my time. And I left home at 16 because I would, I'd rather be in hell than at the house. And so, you know, I think that a lot of this kind of patriarchal, my territory and, and, you know, corporate sort of environment that we're in has led people into chasing after money. And then we have this consumer environment that's driven by capitalism, where we think that happiness is getting a new car or a bigger house. And so people are so financially overextended, they don't really have time to parent. And so you couple that with grandparents that are sort of caught in trying to eternally stay young with facelifts and, you know, still chasing money or being exhausted of kids and wanting to be alone, that you you get a complete breakdown of what have been would have been a healthy tri- tribal society. And now we're, you know, what are we seeing now? We're seeing the reemergence of psychedelics. We're seeing the reemergence of multiple partner relationships. We're seeing an upswing in gay relationships. So it's as though Mother Nature's pendulum is swinging back. And we're also seeing, I believe we're at the end of patriarchal leadership, because if we go... You know, it's only going to take one more Donald Trump to destroy the world. It's a miracle that, you know, he hasn't started a third world war already. I don't think the planet can handle any more Yang energy. I think that we've reached the peak of the Yang cycle. And the only way through the transition that we're in, in order to find a way to live symbiotically with the earth, is to get women uh, running things and being corporate leaders and being. Political leaders and and uh, having more power and more say in the family because most families to this very day are still, you know, the man is the boss and the woman kind of has to do her best to get her opinion in or get what she wants. But oftentimes, uh, you know, the men are sort of the ones that carry the uh, judge's hammer. But I think that's destroying a lot of families and it's destroying societies. It's destroying nations. And so I think when you start looking at the psychedelic revolution, the holistic health revolution, and the fact that we've got more and more women standing up for their rights and um, more and more men realizing that they're just not equipped to, to um, handle the kinds of challenges in families and in societies and cultures without the support of women, I think we're I think we're actually living through a major transition right now.
0: Um, I entirely agree, and in fact, um, in response to your commentary around Me Too, which we're now leading into, that is exactly my sort of interpretation of the Me Too movement. Is that you know there have there has been an imbalance in the masculine and the feminine energies, the yin and the yang, for too long, and that has been sort of that the the patriarchy is the ultimate expression of that imbalance um and and i feel like the me too whilst it's could be perceived as being somewhat aggressive um it, it's a rising of the feminine energy you know and I think that ultimately like you've already said that feminine energy needs to come back into balance it needs to be recalibrated so um, initially there probably needs to be some force associated with that and then u- u- ultimately well, yeah. we can bring hopefully we can bring those two forces back into equilibrium.
2: I agree. One of the things I I wrote down while we were chatting and I forgot to bring up, you know, one of the the sad things that I see, excuse me, unfortunately, a a lot of in my practice and have for a long time, this goes right back to, unfortunately, to religious ideology. When people think they have to stay married together, I've seen countless cases where people, uh, husbands and wives don't get along well at all. And so their solution is, oh, if we just have a child, everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a very devastating decision to make because the parents ultimately condition the child to know what it is to, you know, a, a child's first experience of a man as its father and a, its first experience of a woman is its mother and its first experience of a relationship is its parents. And to the degree we bring children into unhealthy relationships, we teach them to be afraid of men, to be afraid of women, and to be afraid of relationships. And, you know, you couple that with all the problems we have today with the highest rates of suicide amongst children and teenagers ever, and all the research showing how all this Facebooking and, you know, social media connections and tweeting and twatting and twitting it's actually leading people into more and more of a deep sense of isolation and depression it's not bringing us together at all so i really feel that one of the most dangerous things people can do is have children to try to fix a relationship instead of being honest with each other about determining when you know the soul contract is over it's time to move on or getting skilled help and and you know there are some great help out some great people out there uh, dr keith witt who's an amazing integral psychologist has great books on relationships and parenting dr daniel Siegel's, uh, you know the the famous now famous psychiatrist got great teachings on parenting and relationships um there's a great program called um loving let's see it's called um finding and keeping love by harville Hendricks, which is a fantastic audio program that really goes a long way to teaching people how to have healthy relationships. Um, Ken Keith Witt has a lovely program called Loving Completely, which I highly recommend to people. In other words, what I'm saying is there's a lot of resources out there, but uh, you know, it's just we've really got to get past this idea that having a child is going to make a relationship better because children are not relationship counselors, and they need two parents that are in love and connected to each other. Because if they don't have that, the child unfortunately often thinks it's something that they've done wrong, that's making mommy and daddy unhappy. And it puts them into a a state of being frozen or being afraid. And they go into a lot of deep pain and guilt and shame themselves. And countless is the number of people I've had to work with on these issues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that would have, um, definitely be my story as well. My parents divorced when I was quite young and I certainly internalized that and thankfully you know have have looked at that and and worked on that but um that is more common than i think we think and you know that our ch- children are you know downloading most of that subconscious programming even before they can speak so oh know, yes that modeling all of, all of it zero to three really yeah. you know
2: yeah well, actually even all the way up to it starts tapering off, but a child is considered to be wide open for the first seven years. If you look at the biology of transcendence by Joseph Chilton Pierce, he, he shows you very well based on research and how the child's brain grows and develops that for the first four years, they're just you know downloading mm. every sight, sound, smell, every yes. action, every facial expression. And then it starts to peter down a little bit. And then from the age of seven to 12, as the ego structure starts to develop and the intellectual structure starts to develop and and the left brain starts to come on, then there's uh, less of that information getting in. In other words, the filtration system starts to develop. But the first four to seven years of a child's life, they are actually drinking in the environment and that becomes their unconscious programming. This is why so many people you know have lots of health problems and mental emotional problems and they can't figure out where it's coming from but they don't realize that they're you know as as Jung rightly says the task of every child is the unfinished business of its parents lives
0: amen definitely
2: and it's just terribly terribly true so if you had just like a, a one or two line statement to say to parents out there as advice that you would give them so their child is less likely to become somebody's patient and more likely to live fully, what would it be?
0: I think um, working on our own programming. I mean, if, if we're talking, you know, preconceptively, um, you know, obviously we've already said that all of that modeling and all of that downloading is happening in the first few years of um, life for a child. So it's really about bringing awareness to some of those subconscious programs and um, blockages and really bringing them into the light and working on them so that we don't just download them to our children.
2: Yeah. When you're working with people and you realize they've got belief systems that are blocking them or are the source of their health challenges, I know you've said that you start working you know, at the level of the six foundation principles, but one of those is thinking, right? So and, and, and the challenge I've seen over and over again is some people's thinking is what stops them from implementing the strategies. For example, yes. they might not want to change their diet because they have a religious belief about diet. Uh, I've, I've rehabilitated countless vegetarians who had religious ideas. And, you know, sometimes it takes me a month or two of coaching just to work through that alone to get them to where I can even begin to do basic dietary approaches with them but i'm wondering if we just put the diet and, and kind of general coaching aside how how do you approach these belief system challenges in your own practice
0: so i suppose if it's religious like conventionally religious um you know that that can be <laughs> problematic on some level and maybe i'll send them off to read conversations with god just to to start things that's a good one <laughs> just <Yeah>. to start it's <laughs> a great way to challenge their their belief systems a little bit in a sort of subtle way if i if i feel like that's necessary um, but you know as you sort of alluded to um I feel like a lot of people, and, and, you know, the dogma of, uh, the the dogma, the diet dogma that I see, and I I know we won't go into diet too much, but is um, veganism, Um, but fertility, Mm -hmm. the desire for a baby is a very compelling desire so the dream when 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 my when my fertility when i'm working with fertility clients the dream is is strong um that that maternal desire is strong i know i felt it myself so um it's really helpful um to focus on the dream in that context and um and really allow them to see you know the downfalls are in terms of really creating a healthy garden bed, let's say in terms of fertility, that, that garden bed, which is the foundation, which requires some foods that a vegan wouldn't be eating. So that's sort of, that, that one's related to the dream. Um, and then I suppose, you know, a lot of people that I work with have limiting beliefs. So, you know, they don't believe that they will ever be well or they, you know, they they feel like they will always be fat and they're basically saying that over and over like a mantra in in their subconscious mind. And so that is is a a huge problem that I deal with. And the way that I deal with that primarily is um, getting them to, well, uh, I suppose working on the subconscious mind by always encouraging that they're... um, either meditating or practicing Tai Chi or something like that. Um, and and in some cases, getting into a visualization process. Um, and good, oftentimes, yeah. I also get them to write a letter to themselves. I call it a testimonial. And I say, you write the testimonial to me, but it's for you. And it, it describes in great detail everything that you, your dream, ultimately, everything that you want to feel and achieve and you read that and you you sit in the feeling of that because I think that, that um, is a, a, I've found that to be really powerful and that some of my clients have actually been able to gift that, <laughs> that testimonial back to me because the things that they have uh, written down and ruminated upon have manifested. So, uh, That's beautiful. yeah, I think sometimes um, getting past those limiting beliefs sort of means going into the subconscious mind.
2: Yes, one of the techniques I've, I've used, particularly when people have these kind of very negative self-talk and self-defeating behaviors toward themselves and, and self-denial, or they fall into the trap of punishing themselves because they feel they're guilty for something they've done, and so they're taking it out on themselves, is I have them just go buy an Olympus voice recorded, I mean, um, Olympus pocket tape recorder you know you can set it on so it's it's voice activated and i have them just carry that around in their shirt pocket all day and at the end of the day listen to the tape but listen to it as though you were your body listening to it and i'll tell you what that can shock a person right out of that behavior
0: Mm. yeah that's a great tool You
2: you know i had a guy that had a really bad back injury a number of years ago he was a he worked in a pulp mill in Canada, but he ultimately became one of the best Czech professionals I've ever coached. But uh, he used to, he had a, quite a bad lumbar disc bulge and he'd seen all sorts of doctors and wasn't getting any results. But he would say, I hate my fucking back. I just want to cut this thing out. And he would say that 20 times in the therapy session and he'd be so angry. And I said to him, Do you realize that you are talking to a living, breathing organism? that not only hears and feels everything you say, but believes you are God. If you were that body, how would you feel if you were its father? And that woke him up. And he was one of the people I had do the, I'm quite sure I suggested the tape recorder thing, because I've been using that concept for quite a long time. But yeah, that's, you know, some of those are very important approaches and, in my more advanced program, like Check Four Quadrant Coaching, and when I do private coaching, I have quite an arsenal of those things because it 's such a big challenge I run into all the time. Um, I'm curious what are who are some of the women in the world today that you really admire and are inspired by
0: so I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts, and I notice that You refer, obviously. I know you're channeling the wisdom of so many of the people that you admire, and I love, I love that you do that, and I appreciate that you bring them to us. Um, But a lot of those um, spiritual leaders, alive and dead, seem to be men. Um, Yes, yeah. And so I'm glad that you asked me this question because there are women out there that are also amazing, and I know you refer to some of them too. Um, But you know, locally, um, in terms of Australia. You know, the women that I admire are fellow Czechies, so you will know them, Kathy Carr and Leela Lutz I really love and I, 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 I feel that they're sharing a similar message and one that is um, rare and important. Um, I have a podcast, podcast, which I'll talk about later, but my co-host is another amazing wise woman, wise beyond her years. Amanda, you would love her too. Um, so she Great. she really continues to inspire me on the daily. And then I was thinking um, more on a global perspective and thinking of who those females are that are representing sort of. I suppose for me it's it's really about the spiritual leaders because I feel like they are the guardians of our evolution. Um, and so I, I love Gabby Bernstein. I'm sure you're familiar with her work. Um, Vaguely. Um, she's great. Maybe you want to get her onto the show, though. she's hard. To, she doesn't do many interviews. And I'm also feeling um, pretty happy that Marianne Williamson is running for the Democrats. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and I feel that that is – um, a positive move in in the right direction for the US potentially, um, and then I was just thinking about that. Marion Williamson sort of made me think about, um, I suppose, divine feminine leadership, and um, the person that comes to mind who I think is the most outstanding leader of any country around the world right now is the leader, the prime minister in um, New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. And I think she really shows what um, grounded and compassionate and feminine and strong and powerful leadership looks like. And if only we had more of her.
2: That's lovely. Yeah, you know, some of the women that come right off the top of my head is one, my wife, Penny, and my second wife, Angie. They're both just absolutely amazing, powerful, capable, intelligent, beautiful human beings, but some of the women that I – can just right off the top of my head refer to or Are you familiar with Pema Chodron, the uh, Buddhist yes. nun?
0: Yes, yes, yes. She's, she's an amazing, amazing woman. Yes.
2: Yeah, I love her. and It's just, yeah, she touches my soul. Uh, I'm really respectful of Tammy Simon, the woman that started Sounds True. I mean, she's brought a massive amount of great healing information to the world, and she's really an amazing human being. Um, Diane Poole Heller, are you
0: familiar with her? No, I'm not.
2: Well, she's an amazing uh, psychosomatic therapist and does a lot of work with uh, healing trauma and attachment syndromes. And uh, I've studied some of her work and listened to her uh, one of her audio books, and I was just really impressed at how whole and how honest and loving and grounded she was. I'd really recommend anyone look into her work. Um, she's got a great audio program on healing attachment wounds that I think you can get on Amazon or Sounds True, which is just excellent. Um, and I interviewed Gabrielle Reese. You know she's a powerhouse, and uh, and you know uh, the head of the Self Realization Fellowship was uh, Daya Dayama, or I think they call her Dayamata Dayama. But uh, so Yogananda's organization was turned over to a woman, and she did an amazing job. And I think she died a few years ago, but uh, she was another powerful. Woman and in my office here, I have a sculpture of Sister Chang Kun, who's another famous Buddhist monk who was, uh, you know, spent a lot of time and and worked with and kind of grew up with ticknot Han. And she's amazing. But yeah, there there is. I mean, I could if I really there's just a lot. started writing all. There's a lot of them, and and they just don't get enough exposure, in my opinion, and, and it's. It's sad but i'm I'm glad that there is a, a sort of a higher awareness of great women emerging in the world today
0: I think that you know this rising of the feminine this um rebalancing of the two energies um, means that women's voices are slowly getting louder because you know there was a time when there wasn't any space for our voices but I think that that is starting to change and I feel you know um I feel optimistic about that.
2: Yeah. Margaret Thatcher was a very powerful woman, but I actually think she had testicles. <laughs> um, she
0: was definitely extremely heavy uh, in the yang energy.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, she's like, uh, you know, the old saying, um, the British are very polite. They'll invite you to dinner, smile at you and kill you. And she fit that bill beautifully. She did. Yes. Yeah. But uh, listen, as a strong, successful, independent, and beautiful woman, I'm wondering what your take is on all the sensitivities today between women and men that have been arising. Well, all the, you know, man bashing and he touched me and, you know, don't touch this, don't look at me, don't do that. It's just, it just seems like the environment's gotten electric, almost like a bunch of teenagers in a schoolyard that are going at each other i'd love to hear what your take is on all this stuff
0: well i mean i think i'd love to hear yours because i feel like um i've already sort of said this i think um you know particularly if we're talking about the me too movement which is really underpins all of this um you know i suppose intellectually i i also felt really emboldened by me too i felt you know i had experienced like most women sort of firsthand you know um, some sort of subjugation by the patriarchy. And, you know, so I, I think that's where that groundswell comes from. Um, but as I've already said, I feel like ultimately it's really about, um, it's it's an uprising that will hopefully ultimately return us to a balance of masculine and feminine.
2: I, I think it's simply because um, if you look at, if we just took, Culture, and called it a being. I think that all, if all the women in culture were looked at as the the woman of culture, and all the men as a general theme were looked at as the man of culture, so now you have this relationship between the sexes. Are you following my kind of analogy here? Yes. They're teenagers. Mm. We we we're not adults yet. We we haven't, as a culture, learned to respect the beauty and the power and the amazing gifts that each of us brings to each other. And we're still in this very kind of macho, patriarchal world. And, you know, Australia is famous for it and the Italians and and some of the Mexican and Latin cultures for manhandling and women and all that sort of stuff. But I I really – when I see this, it it reminds me of being on the bus on the way home from high school and guys trying to put their hands in girls' tops and hands down their pants and girls slapping guys in the face and then them hitting back or whatever. Uh, To me, it's just like being around a bunch of of, uh, teenagers on caffeine and sugar who are very, very immature and don't have any sense of boundaries and watch way too much television
1: yeah
0: that makes a lot of sense, <laughs> and it sort of looks like that, you know,
2: yeah, to me, it's just like, okay, boys and girls, it's time to grow up, you know, and I think the Native American women uh you know for, for thousands of years, native cultures were matriarchal, the leaders and chiefs of tribes were women, and one of the things that I've mentioned on podcasts before, but I'll mention it in case people haven't heard it, the women built the sweat lodge as an initiation for men so that men could appreciate how much struggle and pain a woman went through to carry a baby for nine months and give birth to it because they realized that men were very detached from the, the, the reality of being a woman and, and what it took for her to manage the children and be pregnant and give birth while they were out hunting and doing their thing, so to speak. So they designed the sweat lodge. Have you ever been in a sweat lodge?
0: No, I haven't.
2: Oh boy, <laughs> it's the real deal, baby. It's the real, I've done two of them to properly run sweat lodges. And I'll tell you what, it was a spiritual firewalk for me. And I've actually done a firewalk and it was tougher than the firewalk. And uh, so what the sweat lodge is, is it's basically a tent that's shaped like a womb when they're properly done. And there's like 10 or 12 of you Huddled into this tiny little tent, and they heat these big rocks up for hours and hours. So they're just literally glowing, you know, right whitish red. And there's a circle of stones in the middle of the tent, and you're all huddled up around the circle. And they put those rocks in the center and close the door on the tent. And the tent's usually made of animal skins or heavy blankets to keep the heat in. Then they pour water on those rocks. And you go through four rounds of that. And each round lasts about 15 minutes. And let me tell you, by the time you get to about round three, you're hoping God's going to come collect your bony ass out of there because it's intense. And so, you know, having been through that, it's made me much more empathetic and compassionate to Angie. You know, she's now, you know, very close to giving birth to our baby Zoe. Uh, We expect her to give birth any day from about the 1st of July. Uh, and within the next couple of weeks, I think she's going to give birth July the second. That's my input, That's my intuition. But having watched her carry mana, she gained about sixty pounds with mana. She's only five foot one, so
0: wow. You know, when she puts on fifty
2: five or sixty pounds, she's up like fifty five right now. I think fifty fifty five with Zoe, and it's heavy mm. on her. You know, I've been giving her foot massages every night for months, and I give her a full body massage on the weekends to support her. But I'll tell you what, having gone through a sweat lodge, it makes me much more empathetic to the challenge of a woman uh, being pregnant and, and being a mother. And I think the Native American wise women were very, very wise. And I think a lot of men are just very detached from how much a woman actually does. And they think, oh, she's just at home doing nothing with the kids all day. I'm like, let me tell you something, buddy. <laughs> You stay home for one day and I bet you you'll pull your hair out and be begging for that woman to come home. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So if you were going to die tomorrow, what message would you leave the people of the world before you go?
0: Well, you know, Paul, we are, I honestly believe we're in a state of emergency at the moment in terms of the health of the planet. And, you know, the human population is reflecting that too, obviously. Um, I really think it comes back to taking responsibility for our own physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being because ultimately the more that every individual can do that, the more, you know, responsibility we will take for our planet. So –
2: You know – the. The beautiful thing too, Sarah, is the more you honestly take care of yourself, the more you realize how important the earth is because you can't yes. get healthy without organic food. Yes. And you realize, wow, the soil is important. Farmers are important. And we get our food from the earth. And if you don't get it from the earth, you're getting some synthetic process crap from some supermarket that's disguised as food and it's genetically modified and it's all this horseshit they keep trying to convince people that they need because we don't have enough food on the planet to feed everyone which is absolute garbage but you know what i'm saying is each step of the way when you to to really get to be a healthy person you got to work with your mind you got to work with your emotions you got to work with your body and what do you find out you need other people And we all need the earth and we can't do it without clean water. We can't do it without clean air. We can't do it without healthy soils. We can't do it without a healthy ocean. And we've gotten so in love with our thoughts and our gadgets and our technology. It's as though we're living in a mental plane, but a mental plane is actually a virtual reality, but our bodies live in an authentic reality. And people are so detached from where their food comes anymore that they don't have, you Jamie uh, Jamie Oliver did a did a uh, I watched one of his TV shows where he showed flashcards to kids and he had been doing this all over the you know, all over England and other countries and he basically showed right on the television show he had flashcards that were a mix of fruits, vegetables and common fruits, vegetables, and farm animals mixed with corporate symbols and he showed over and over again that on average, Children in elementary school knew every single corporate symbol but only 50% of them could recognize common fruits, vegetables and farm animals. Mm. How is that for a shock? That shows you what we've programmed our kids to believe life is all about. So those kids grow up to, you know, work for large companies like Google and Microsoft and technology companies but don't realize they're destroying the very fabric of nature that gives them the ability to be alive. So I agree. You know, it's time for us all to really sink our roots back into the earth, because you can't eat an iPhone, <laughs> and it doesn't. You know, you, it, it doesn't matter how fast your five G system is if you've got cancer. Oh yes, uh, you know, totally. Et yeah,
0: and health elevates elevates compassion. <laughs> so it does. Yeah. We we all need to just take responsibility.
2: Hey, well, it's been fantastic. I've I've really loved just the chance to be able to talk to you and catch up to you because we don't get to talk and and uh, see each other. It's been a long time, but I've always enjoyed your company and and your presence. And I'm so grateful for all the people you're helping. And it's lovely to hear about your own journey. And so, where can people find out more about you and your services and any other resources that you offer? And thank
0: you. And likewise, it's been a, a beautiful conversation and definitely um, the longest time that we have had talking together for a long time. So, it's just been wonderful yeah. to share the energy with you, Paul. And um, yeah, you. like where people can find me. So, um, I have obviously a website and it's health-wellbeing, one word, .com.au. And on Instagram, I am at Shopkins Health, which is one word. And I also have a podcast, which um, I'm really, really loving. It's an absolute joy to produce and, and to record and that's called Elevate and that can be found right on, on all of the, you know, podcast apps and Apple and all of those things. And um, I'm also in the process, I thought I would share this here of developing an online program that is focused specifically on fertility um and it's in its embryonic stages excuse the pun but um i'm i'm really hoping that that i'll be releasing that later in this year so if anybody wants to follow me on social media or on my website then they'll they'll see when that that is being released as well
2: now uh being in perth australia uh, you're a long ways from from a lot of the people listening to my podcast. Do you do any coaching by Skype or FaceTime?
0: I do. Yes, I work. I currently have probably four or five clients that are far flung. So at the moment, I've got a couple in the UK. I usually have a couple over east as well. So yes, I work with people all over the world, and I typically use FaceTime to do that. So I'm available for that.
2: Excellent. Well. What a joy. Thank Thank you you. for joining me on Living 4D. Today it was with Paul Check and Sarah Hopkins. So uh, I'll look forward to uh, another chance to interview you along the way. Keep me posted of any new developments and things that are exciting and let's find another great thing to get into together. And
0: I just want to say thank you for being one of my absolute all-time favorite mentors and just for guiding my journey and for being the conduit for uh, so many facets of my healing journey and ultimately discovering or rediscovering my dream. So thank you again, Paul.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Lots of love. And uh, I hope that uh, anybody having the kinds of challenges that we discussed here today that you're focusing on reaches out to you because Lord knows there's a lot of infertile women out there and men that could use a good loving centered coach and they found one today. Thank you. All right. Lots of love.
1: Lots of love. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Sarah Hopkins. You can find Sarah online and receive a free copy of her Ideal Eating Guide at health-wellbeing.com.au. Follow her on Instagram at shopkinshealth or on LinkedIn and Facebook at shopkinshealthwellbeing. If you are interested in Sarah's online fertility coaching program, request to join her private Facebook group, at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash your fertility journey. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Cech. You can watch more on Paul's blog at Paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's blog at checkinstitute.com forward slash blog.